There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up digging. This is KUTT 99.5, Fairberry Beatrice, Old Red. Time for Yard and Garden Live. It's an hour and a half live call-in show. Got those questions ready? Give us a call at 402-729-3383. We'll get your questions. And uh, if you have a spot in the yard or an insect problem, today's the day to get those questions answered. Uh, Joining me, as always, is uh, the lovely Nicole Stoner, Gage County Extension Educator. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. How are you? We are doing well. Uh, You get me (laughs) back-to-back days. Randy uh, had a meeting to go to. Uh, That's all right. He might be back in in a little while. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, We'll see if he can make it back in time because he does love your guest today, and I'll let you introduce uh, the man, the myth, and the legend right now. (laughs) I brought with me Dr. Paul Reed, and he's the professor of viticulture up at UNL. So welcome. Thank you for coming. Happy to be here. I always enjoy these uh, visits with Yard and Garden. Yes, and I know uh, our listeners certainly in, enjoy when you're here as well, and uh, everyone around the wine industry knows mm-hmm. your name as well, right? That would be likely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk more about that coming up. Uh, we will take your phone calls at 402-729-3383. We'll take our first big break of the hour and be back to field your phone calls. Like I said, during this break, you can call us at 402 402- 729-3383. It's Yard and Garden Live. Welcome back to the Yard and Garden Live show, Old Red 99.5. As uh, we go straight to the phone line here, Nicole, we have Cheryl from Dakin. Good morning, Cheryl. Good morning. And what's uh, your question for our guests? Well, I have a question about my roses. They have... they weren't looking real great they're starting to bloom but they have i don't know if they're spider mites or what but there's little webs on the stems like um, real fine webs yes little fine webs yeah it sounds like spider mites most likely those are easily controlled with um, if you take your hose end sprayer and turn it to the jet section and just spray them down real hard it'll knock off the spider mites and kill them Okay, that sounds like an easy fix. Mm-hmm. Do they do they they not have a problem of coming back? They don't climb. Once the you plant? knock them off, it does kill them. Um, they might come back, so I would do that a few times. Um, you know, like probably every day for a few, for like a week or so, and then hopefully they'll kind of go away. I've uh, I think Kate and I were talking maybe off air last week that um, some people she knows are having some real troubles with spider mites this year. So I think they're out and active. So. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thank, well, thank you. you for your phone call. Mm-hmm. 402-729-3383 is the number to call for Yard and Garden Live. Uh, 402-729-3383. Uh, Nicole, we were uh, kind of chatting beforehand, uh, before we went uh, on air, about uh, we did get a lot of rain mm-hmm. in May. We, mm-hmm. we got some great rains yeah. in May. Necessary. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but going into that was a lot of dry mm-hmm. uh, conditions, yeah. and uh, something to look f- forward to or out for, I guess, would be to maintain that uh, watering, right? Yeah. And so, like, um, like you just said, we came out of a very dry winter, and so one of the things we might be seeing is damage to some of our evergreens, especially um, uh, arborvitae and junipers are showing a lot of damage and um, mostly just because it's been so dry through the winter. Um, So making sure that you're keeping those well watered. Um, But as we move into now this, we're going to start moving into the hotter part of the summer. The outlook uh, from the climatologist is still that it might be a pretty dry year. Um, And so it's just something to keep in mind to pay attention to your plants. You know, if they start to get wilty, the, the leaves are, kind of droopy especially um in the afternoon you know that's telling you that they need a little drink um so make sure that you're watering things if we're not getting an inch of water a week 
that's kind of an average for most of our plants. Um, so, you know, running the sprinkler or the drip irrigation or soaker hoses in your vegetable garden um, a couple times a week. Um, you know, even watering your perennials and your annuals, your trees. The My trees are on my agenda for this weekend. Um, I haven't watered them in a couple weeks, so, you know, with the rains we got. So, um, uh, definitely want to keep an eye on those. Watering a tree is different from watering the turf, so they're not the same. And then the other thing is with um, turf irrigation, a lot of people have, you know, the in-ground irrigations and they just let them run all the time or three times a week or whatever, two or three times a week. I would make sure you know how much you're applying each time because you don't want to overdo it and we can easily overdo it with an automatic irrigation system. The other thing is um, we're kind of leaning towards, you know, don't turn it on and leave it on. Uh, it's better if we can just kind of wait till the grass shows a little bit of stress and then turn it on. That's a good water saving method and it's just as good for the plants. Um, so when you start seeing footprints left behind when you walk through the lawn or you get kind of a bluish green color versus your nice deep green hue of your normal grass, that's when you can run your irrigation. Um, but if you can kind of leave it off, then you're not, you know, running it in the rain or mm -hmm. right after it rains and things like that. And it's just um, a really good way to do that. So I know there's probably not a, a magic way to uh, determine that, but are we talking like two times a week or once a week for your turf? For turf, um, most most irrigation systems, um, you're going to run two or three times a week. Um, you don't want to do that every day. A lot of people, you know, some people will say, well, maybe I'll just run it every day. Uh, that's really hard on the turf because you're not building any sort of root system. Um, so you don't want to do that. So two or three times a week is usually um, doing about a, a third to a half an inch each time. And that will get you your inch to inch and a half um, of irrigation if you're doing the irrigation system like that. If you're running like sprinklers or whatever, you're probably only going to do that like once a week because, yeah. you know, it's just a lot more work to do that. Moving, moving sprinklers around or if you've got those lawn tractors, those work pretty good too. So there's different ways we can do that, but just paying attention to that. And it's okay to not irrigate your lawn at all. Um, just know that when it gets really hot and dry, like a bluegrass is going to go dormant. Um, so just something to keep in mind. The turf uh, turf type tall fescue doesn't really go dormant, but they're able to withstand more of a drought situation um, than a bluegrass does. So it can, can work to your benefit there. But if it's a prolonged excessive drought, then you would need to water that fescue because um, otherwise it will start to die out like it did in 2012. <clears throat> yeah, I know that uh, some farmers uh, are uh, starting to run the mm -hmm. irrigation right now to uh, help the beans kind of sprout. Uh, right. Are you seeing that type of thing with gardens as well? Yeah, actually, we were um, we mulched the school gardens. The two we have two school donation gardens in Beatrice that the Master Gardeners help to uh, manage throughout the season, and we had planted some things from seed like cucumbers, zucchini, and that. Um, and even in my home garden, I had done the same thing and. I've watered, but they're just not coming up. And that, you know, watering will help with that, but also the warmer temperatures will help push those up. Um, so, you know, just keep that in mind. If they, if your stuff is a little behind, uh, I think you're in the range with everybody else. I, th I think our plants are going to be a little bit behind um, due to the cool weather. Would you agree, Paul? Yeah, one of the problems this year with all that, cool rainy may mm -hmm. is the soil temperatures really haven't come up to where you want them uh, some of the cucurbits uh, okra if you grow okra these things require soil temperatures up in the 60s mm -hmm. yeah and we've we've been a little lower they're they're in that range but they're right in that range so they're not um, excessively high by any means and so um, so that's why you know just understand that we're all kind of in the same boat our plants might be a little bit behind this year so um, just been a little cooler yeah well it's been a good year for cool season things exactly. like spinach and other greens mm -hmm. yeah so yeah 402-729-3383 maybe you have a question about watering or uh, a disease that you've seen in your lawn uh, a spot uh, perhaps give us a call 402-729-3383 we'd be Happy to uh, work through, through those questions for you. Once again, 
Uh, our number, 402-729-3383. And, Nicole, we talked uh, last week uh, about ticks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, they, they, are, they are out and about. Uh, yeah. My wife had one on her the other night after mm-hmm. after we were out. Uh, just something to definitely be aware of right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> as Kate mentioned, you know, once you're outside, when you come in, make sure that you are checking the kids and everybody um, so that we don't have ticks attached for very long where they can spread all those horrible diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so be really careful with that. And just, yeah, nobody likes a tick to find a tick on yeah. you. Just, you just don't feel right after and, that. And, and <laughs> once you have one tick on you, then you, you feel like you have a million. You right? do, <laughs> yes. And you're searching for, for more, and it's it's not fun. Nobody likes that. So, yeah. Using the DEET bug sprays, um, insect sprays, will help keep them off you. So when you're going to be outside, make sure you spray yourself down with the DEET products. They work better for ticks. All right. I think uh, we're getting getting a phone call in here. We'll wait to see. There it is. Uh, we'll go to the phone line now. Dora from Plymouth. Good morning, Dora. What's your question? Good morning. I have two rhubarb plants, and every year at the beginning of the year, they start seeding. What is the problem there? Well, they want to make seeds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I usually cut them off as soon as they show those stalks, uh, seed stalks. Uh, some different cultivars or varieties do that more than others. There's one uh, called Canada Red that is uh, doesn't tend to shoot those seed stalks quite so quickly. And it's extremely productive, and it's, it has good red stalks, so it makes really excellent sauce and pies. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Uh, if you have a question, 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. It's the number for Yard and Garden Live. Plenty of time to Take your phone calls, 402-729-3383. One other thing we talked about last week, Trevor, was the bagworms. And I saw it on Facebook today, and I shared it on my Facebook page. But bagworms, according to Kate, who was here last week, are expected to hatch this week. So you still got a little bit of time. If you haven't got out and got those old bags from last year off, go out, take those out, or remove them from your trees. Um, and throw them into a bucket of soapy water or smash them or somehow destroy them. Um, otherwise, um, as they start hatching, then we'll start watching for the new bags to appear. And you want to spray when those are less than a half an inch in length. So if you catch them real early on, you can use the BT products. If it's a little later, when they're getting closer to that half inch size, um, you can switch to something like a Tempo. might work a little better. BT's very effective, but it's um, for more of the first few instars once they get too big then it's it's not quite as effective but it's um it's not harmful to a lot of our pollinators or a lot of our other insects around um, because it only affects um, insects in the lepidopteran order which is butterflies and moths Um, but your butterflies aren't going to be feeding on the spruces and cedars and that so it's it's a lot less harmful to our um, non-target insects not a hard thing to apply either unless you got a, like a huge windbreak right yeah uh you know big tall trees are harder to get because um you got to get all the way to the top of the tree and so sometimes that's um difficult for a person but a lot of times with some of those sprayers we can get up pretty high with that so just you can spray them yourself um just make sure you're getting it so that it's soaking the tree and kind of dripping off of there so and just follow the label mm. the number for Yard and Garden Live. We sure'd love to have your phone calls here this morning at 402-729-3383. Once again, 402-729-3383. Paul, we were talking on the way over. You said you've got a field day coming up this week, right? That is right. Uh, Monday, actually, the 6th. We have a field day that starts out at uh, Cedar Valley Vineyards. Just east of Lincoln, uh, Jim Skinner is the owner and vineyard uh, operator. He's got some real interesting uh, examples of uh, management practices that are 
as we were, I was saying, they're sort of teachable moments. They're, uh, when people come to visit this uh, field day, there are going to be several opportunities to learn about some interesting things. One thing uh, that kind of surprised me when we were scouting it uh, to determine whether it'd be a good spot for the field day, which it is, uh, Jim showed us a, a egg mass for praying mantis. Hmm. And uh, he says, I always leave them there because they're beneficial insects. Right. And this will be an opportunity to talk about that. But as he picked up the stem that he had this egg mass on, they were in the process of hatching. Mm -hmm. Must have been a hundred or more oh, of yeah. those little buggers <laughs> just scampering around because <laughs> after all, they're, they're cannibalistic they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> so they were just running around really fast. Yes. I'd never seen them. I've seen them after hatching, but I'd never seen them right at hatch. And that was the most interesting thing to, to see. Yeah. Uh, years ago, we took a picture of a praying mantis uh, who was seven or eight inches long, easily the biggest one I'd ever seen. Mm -hmm. She must have eaten a lot of her brothers and sisters, <laughs> not to mention uh, undesirable insects, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And so when I give a talk, I usually show that photo. Uh, she's my poster child for organic. <laughs> but yes, we the field day is going to be uh, on the 6th and uh, at the Jim Skinner Vineyard just east of Lincoln. And then uh, at lunchtime, we're going to go over to Deer Springs Winery and have uh, lunches there, catered lunch. And then afterwards, the uh, perfect opportunity, the Deer Springs people are uh, replacing parts of their vineyard. So it'll be a great opportunity to talk about the things you should do when you're transitioning uh, from one variety to another, uh, being sure, for example, that you've left enough room at the headland to turn equipment, and especially if you're in the process of moving into machine harvest, which many of our, wine, our vineyards are doing machine harvest now. Uh, I think there are at least seven or eight uh, machines in the state now, uh, mechanical harvesters. And that actually doesn't hurt the fruit that much and doesn't have a big impact on the wine quality. So uh, that's one of the things when, when redesigning or replacing a vineyard or renovating a vineyard, trying to put in, uh, plan in advance things like uh, drip irrigation, mm -hmm. Uh, headland space for turning your equipment. Uh, lots of perfect timing uh, to take advantage of, of uh, not just changing variety, but also designing your vineyard for more efficiency. Yes, yeah, sir. And you were talking uh, before the show how uh, really the pandemic uh, kind of shut things down for these for you for a while and you're really excited about this year kind of being back to normal right yeah face to face uh looks as though we're going to have pretty good turnout for this uh, field day and nothing beats face to face obviously uh you can uh, do these teachable moments i was commenting about you can it's like kindergarten show and tell but it's yeah. hands-on right there yeah, and certainly the you know the the smells and everything go along with that. It's just per perfectly uh, better in in person. That's for sure. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. That's the number for Yard and Garden Live. We're looking for your phone call at four zero two seven two nine thirty three eighty three. Was it a a busy week at the office? A short week for you, Nicole? Yeah. Uh, did, what problems came in, or what were you seeing this week? Look back at my notes here. You caught me <laughs> off guard. <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things I have had a couple calls about, um, we're, um, we're seeing some aphids kind of moving out and about. 
Um, and so they're little tiny green bugs, um, and they uh, they can do some damage to our plants, but it's usually minimal damage. Um, what they do is they suck the juices out of the leaves, um, but they're on the underside of the leaves, so it actually causes the leaves to kind of curl under under down on itself. Um, and so it looks a little rough, but your leaf is still there. It's still able to photosynthesize and everything. Um, and sometimes with like, um, like when the lady called about the spider mites um, and the same thing with aphids, if we spray an insecticide on some of those things, we're going to kill them, but we're also taking care of and killing the predator insects like your praying mantises and things like that. And so <clears throat> sometimes it's better to just leave them alone and let the predators come and take care of them. In the case of aphids, when we start seeing lace bugs, um, spider mites, those kinds of things, if you leave them alone, the predators will take care of them in a week or two. And so if you spray, you're going to kill the predators too. And actually what has happened in a lot of cases is we get a resurgence of those insects. And so it's actually a bigger population of the bad guy. So you get a higher population of aphids than what you had before. Um, so it's in some cases it's better to just kind of leave them alone um, and they're not really harming the tree. They look a little rough for a little bit, but it's not really damaging the growth of the tree or anything. Um, and so that's just, you know, it's better to sometimes just leave them alone, let, let nature take its course. Well, you can also, uh, if you're going to be dealing with spider mites with a forceful spray of water, you knock aphids off, too, in that right. process. Right. One of the things I was going to say about praying mantis is that people misunderstand uh, how to spell praying mantis. It's it, it's P-R-E-Y because mm -hmm. it's preying upon other insects. Of course, you can pray P-R-A-Y uh, that everything works out okay, but <laughs> the praying mantis is... Uh, not just folding his hands in prayer. <laughs> yep, they're they're really they're one of my favorite insects. Um, they're a pretty cool insect. And you said you saw that really big one. So there's two main ones that we see in Nebraska: the Carolina mantid and the Chinese mantid. So the really big, long green ones; those are the Chinese mantids. Um, so in in some cases they're a little invasive, but um, they're they're a pretty good insect for predatory. But they get really big sometimes, so they're pretty cool. Hmm. We'll take a quick time out, so we'll be back with more of your phone calls at 402-729-3383. This is Yard and Garden Live on Old Red 99.5. Once again, uh, you can call us during this break at 402-729-3383. It's Yard and Garden Live on Old Red. Welcome back to Yard and Garden Live on Old Red 99.5. Joining me today, Nicole Stoner, Gage County Extension Educator, along with Dr. Paul Reed, Professor of viticulture for unl and uh i think every every new guest that you have uh, we we talk gardens uh dr reed what are uh, what's in your garden what's in my garden i started growing okra about three or four years ago because my daughter married a guy who uh his family loved eating okra so i thought i'd grow some for him and so I'm always trying new things anyway. Uh, I've been harvesting broccoli and spinach already this spring and other greens like bok choy. But uh, right now, and, and I usually root cuttings of sweet potatoes, grow them in half barrels, uh, get really nice uh, roots that are tasty to clean up and yeah. When I dig them up in the fall, and and uh, I like baked, I like sweet potatoes uh, just to bake them, slice them open, put a little butter in there, and it's one of the healthiest vegetables you can eat. Uh, I grew corn last year, sweet corn. I grew up in an area where we did sweet corn all the time, but sweet corn takes up such a big chunk mm -hmm. of the garden that mm -hmm. I don't like to grow sweet corn. But I did grow sweet corn last year, last growing season, to interrupt the, uh, create a crop rotation, so to speak, because I thought that my solanaceous vegetables like tomatoes and peppers and eggplant were uh, perhaps 
not quite so robust as they should be. And I thought, okay, we'll grow corn one year to interrupt that cycle of perhaps root diseases coming up and so on. Uh, always grow tomatoes and a few peppers. Uh, I find that one or two hot pepper plants is plenty. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I always thought that maybe... I have no quarrel with people that like to have, eat spicy and pungent foods, but I figure if the good Lord meant for you to eat something that hurts you, <laughs> uh, if it hurts in, when you put it in your mouth, you probably don't need to eat it. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I still grow a little bit for spicing up my uh, spaghetti sauce and other pasta dishes and so forth. Uh, Eggplants, one of my favorite things to grow. You can slice them up and grill them uh, while you're grilling other, you're grilling your burgers or mm -hmm. ribs or whatever. Throw a few sliced eggplants on there and they just add one more dimension to your plate. So I like to try lots of different things. I've been trying a couple of new pole beans, that one called Marvel of Venice that is a marvel. It grows very quickly and uh, produces large, flat, yellow snap, uh, beans that you would use, like regular snap beans. It's very tasty. They have a special flavor. So that was something I tried for the first time last year. Figure, okay, it went well last year. I'll try it again this year and so mm -hmm. on. Well, like I said, I'm always trying new things. Uh, I was telling Nicole that a friend of mine gave me a, a tomato plant this, just a few days ago, and it was called uh, Hillbilly Potato Leaf Tomato. Uh, <coughs> never heard of it, never grew it. I'll see what it does in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so you said you grow okra. So how, how has that been? How has that uh, process been for you? It's worked well. Uh, I keep trying different varieties or cultivars. Uh, one called Jing Orange uh, is a new one for me last year, and it did very well. Clemson Spineless is the mm -hmm. standard okra that people grow, and uh, okra works just fine. You know, th people re don't think that because we live in the north, so to speak, that you can grow things that are typical from the South, but sweet potatoes uh, and okra are two examples of, of what I call Southern vegetables that uh, flourish here. Yeah, They're easy to grow, and of course, it's important to remember that we're talking sweet potatoes, not yams. Yams are something totally different that we don't, we don't even see them on our market, even though the grocery stores call them yams. They're not true yams. They're sweet potatoes. Interesting. Is there, has there ever been uh, something that uh, has plagued you uh, that you just would love to grow but you can't? Oh, I've tried a lot of things that uh, are not as productive as I'd like them to be <laughs> or that uh, attract certain critters. Uh, the... Squash borer is one of the mm -hmm. banes of almost every oh, yeah. summer squash grower. For sure. Uh, <coughs> and again, some cultivars or varieties uh, are less susceptible mm -hmm. than others, and I keep <coughs> finding, trying to find the one that they don't like to eat, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I've had difficulty from time to time with squirrels, uh, both for my fruit trees and also some of the vegetables. They think that they're good to eat. Yeah. And and they are, of course, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather that I ate them, not the squirrels ate them. I, I have Over the years, I've had real problems with rabbits, but in the last couple of years, I've not had any problem with rabbits. And I think that's because we're beginning to see more foxes and coyotes in the city limits mm. of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't seen a rabbit in the backyard this year, and it used to be just one of those things, if I didn't put 
chicken wire fencing around them. The rabbits mm -hmm. would gnaw the things like beets and beans right mm -hmm. down they to the like ground. Beans. They definitely do. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I I certainly have still seen rabbits, plenty of rabbits around my house for sure. Uh, looks like we have a, a walk-in. Yes, yeah. it's a sample. He wants to know if that's rust or not rust or what to do about it. Yes. It's on a bush. It's on a bush. I don't know what the bush is that we're dealing with here, but um, the leaves have uh, orange little spiky things on them, and they're kind of uh, deformed, and those that is rust. Um, I just had another one. I think it was a tree maybe, but... Um, yeah, we're seeing a little bit of the rust, um, and what those little spiky things are actually the, um, the, um, the fungus is coming out. Can't think of the word for it. Um, I don't know if they're ischiospores or not, but they yeah. look like, uh, it's not the same thing as, uh, cedar apple mm -hmm. rust, but. It's a different type of rust. Yeah, and I get cedar apple rust on, uh. Some of my apples, uh, there's a big difference among, uh, among apple cultivars for susceptibility. There's a, an apple called honey gold, which is just a wonderful apple to eat, not to be confused with honey crisp, but uh, it is real susceptible to cedar apple rust. Mm -hmm. <coughs> yeah, I like that apple too, but yes, it's very susceptible. So um, with the amount of rain that we've seen and like two full days of cloudy, rainy weather that we had what, last week, um, <clears throat> then we could see more of these fungal diseases kind of popping up. Um, so with, a <clears throat> with any of our diseases, um, they're there and the host is there, but until we get the right environment, the disease doesn't show up. And so a lot of these like rust type, a lot of our fungus, fungal diseases like wetter weather, um, and so that's why we're seeing this now. It should fade. It's not anything I would probably worry about spraying, um, depending on how bad it is affecting the tree. But um, I think I would just leave it alone. It should dry up as we get into drier, hotter weather. Perfect. 402-729-3383. That's the number for Yard and Garden Live. We'd sure love your phone call. 402-729-3383. The number for Yard and Garden Live, one more time, 402-729-3383. As uh, Nicole Stoner, Gage County Extension Educator, is here, and Dr. Paul Reed, Professor of Viticulture at UNL Extension, happy to take your phone calls at 402-729-3383. Uh, I know you always love to talk some wine when you come, Dr. Reed, and uh, what's going on in the wine industry right now? Well, Nebraska's industry has really flourished over the years. It, when I first started working with it, there was only one winery and another one about to open. So now we're in the 30s of wineries. Uh, I just have served as kind of the resource for people when they're trying to start a vineyard or start a uh, winery. And we have some that are new startups that look promising, plus our our core, I'll call them, uh, wineries have been doing very well. The wines have been high quality. Uh, there's, uh, we're always testing new kinds of grapes to see which ones will fit here and will work well in different parts of Nebraska. The ones that work in uh, eastern Nebraska, some of them won't work very well in western Nebraska. We've tested almost 100 different kinds of grapes now, and uh, sometimes I, I say that it's better to be able to tell people what not to grow mm -hmm. uh, to save them the troubles that they might encounter if they think they should try something like Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, it's not, yeah. not our kettle of fish, so to speak. Uh, but the industry had a... Uh, uh, festival called Toast, uh, the 13th and 14th of May, and that was extremely susceptible. It was at Stinson Park in Omaha, and they had, I think, 1,500 people was the limit they, uh, the tickets they sold on Friday and 3,000 on Saturday. So they, wow. it, was, it was really very successful. 
All the winery people that I talked to said that they had a, a real successful uh, event. And as I said, the wine quality is good. Uh, there's a new grape called Itasca that came out of uh, University of Minnesota breeding program that uh, makes really excellent dry white wines for people that are saying, well, I don't like sweet wines. Uh, there are several really good dry wines being made as well. So whatever is your cup of tea, so to speak, uh, I always tell my students that they need to try lots of different kinds of, of wine. Uh, the old saying about you got to kiss a lot of frogs to find a prince or princess you're <laughs> looking for. Uh, if, if, you, if you haven't found a wine you like yet, you haven't tried enough of them. <laughs> and especially Nebraska wines have really improved over the years. They started out quite good. That's not saying they weren't good, but they really have come up uh, winning awards in national and international competitions and that's pretty exciting to see that yeah. happen. When I travel I usually take a bottle or two of Nebraska wine with me to kind of show off a little bit, brag a little, uh, because just as we've always been able to brag about our Nebraska beef and soon to be able to brag about our football team again, I hope. <laughs> uh, and but we can really hang our hat on some of the high-quality wines that are being produced by our Nebraska wineries. Nice. 402-729-3383. If you have a, a question for Nicole or Dr. Reed, 402-729-3383. We'll head to the phone lines now. We have Susan from Winemore. Good morning, Susan. What's your question? Well, I have two questions, actually. I was wondering about my Brussels sprouts that I planted. Do I have to put those in a cage? I don't think you need to put a Brussels sprout plant in a cage. Um, they they kind of leaf out, and then they'll shoot that stock up on their own. Yeah, but they grow so tall that it's probably a good idea to stake them. Mm, okay. Okay, and I also put some peppers in my garden, and I put them between the Brussels sprouts and uh, the other side of the corn. Do I have to worry about everything in my garden turning spicy? No. <clears throat> that's That really doesn't affect uh, the plants, or it's kind of a myth, right, Paul? Yeah, um, right. So it's, it's, it can affect possibly the seed for if you save it for next year right <clears throat> it right. would affect <clears throat> excuse me it's one of the things where people uh for example grow say muskmelons or summer squash or pumpkins next to each other uh and they taste the melon for example and say gosh i was growing it next to cucumbers that must be why it doesn't taste so sweet as mm -hmm. it should when, in fact, uh, that had nothing to do with it. However, saving the seed, as Nicole says, from uh, any of the cucurbits, uh, usually they don't come true the next year, and, it, and they may have crossbred with something next to it. For example, summer squash and pumpkin, for example, easily inter interbreed, and, uh, which has no effect on the fruit of that year but the seed you save from that year's fruit uh, and grow into a plant next year will have some of characteristics of perhaps both parents and be not all that desirable. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Anything else, Susan? No, that actually answered everything for me. All okay. right, perfect. Thank Thanks. All right, bye-bye. 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383, getting back to the Brussels sprout thing. You said to stake it. Is there uh, a trick to staking it or uh, just, you know, wherever you decide to tie that up? Is that good? Well, at least in my garden, they tend to flop over if you're not careful. Uh, and the only reason for tying a stake, maybe you can buy these soft ties that are just, soft plastic you just wrap it around it to tie it so it doesn't fall over uh, probably once when it gets to be about a foot and a half tall and then again 
when it's three feet tall. And when you're talking staking it, you're talking the, the stock that all the Brussels sprouts are growing on, right? Right. The leaves right. themselves grow kind of at the base of the plant, and they're not a huge problem. With, don't need to be staked up or anything, right? Well, <coughs> they, they grow all the way up the stock. Oh, they do. Okay. And so each Brussels sprout, what we eat, mm -hmm. uh, is a, looks like a little cabbage. Mm -hmm. and it forms in the angle of the leaf with the mm -hmm. stalk. Okay. And there's nothing uh, nothing better than some Brussels sprouts oh on yeah. the grill. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe I know who this is. Well, we'll head to the phone lines. Uh, Randy in February. Good morning, Randy. What's your question? Good morning. Um, I have a maple tree, probably four or five years old, and the outside of the leaf down at the center the tops they're released out they're just stems right now you never know what that might be okay so the center like the interior part and then the top of the tree didn't leaf out right yep the center and the top didn't leaf okay um is that uh, did they leaf out? Have any leaf buds early on the season, and then they just didn't come out? Yeah. Or? Okay. They did. They they all bedded out, then they just didn't. They just didn't shoot any leaves out. Okay. So have you scratched at the bark on any of those branches that aren't producing leaves right now? Yeah, I have, and they're not. They're not green. I, they turned to be dead, but they. They're brown underneath, not green. Okay, um, so those died out. Um, could be, what are you thinking? Maybe a, a frost injury or something like that from the cold weather? It could have, because of all the dry weather we had, it could be, uh, mm -hmm. could be that lack of, of moisture through the, through the winter. Uh, I know with the grapes and fruit trees, some of our what we think is winter damage is actually fall damage mm -hmm. they don't harden up sufficiently and then the temperature drops fast uh, that can be a problem right so could i trim them back or, or do you think i'm gonna lose it yeah i would if they're brown underneath they're not going to regrow any leaves or do anything like that so i would take those out um <clears throat> the problem you're going to have is you know making sure that you're not um, you don't want to top the tree, uh, so you can, what we would do is like a heading back cut on those, so wherever those branches are that are bare, that are brown underneath, um, cut those back to a, a side branch so that you've got another branch to, to take that, um, growth of the tree. If you remove those top pieces like that, you may lose that apical dominance in the tree, so you may need to, um, kind of pull one up or prune down the things below it to try to get one to take that dominance over the others. Um, otherwise it'll grow more shrub like and not very tall um, when we lose right. that. So, um, so that's what I would do is, is just kind of prune out so, like carefully and, and do good pruning cuts, uh, remove the dead stuff. And then um, one of the ways we can make that apical dominance come back is to take a, like a wooden dowel and kind of, Hold one of those branches up a little higher um, with maybe some masking tape or some of those like what you were saying with the Brussels sprouts to hold those in place um, just to kind of you're, you're pushing one to take that that dominance that to be the new leader of the tree okay all right okay yep. we'll try that then thank you very much yep thank you thanks for your call 402-729-3383, the number for Yard and Garden Life. If you have a question for Nicole Stoner, Gage County Extension Educator, or Dr. Paul Reed, Professor of Viticulture, UNL Extension, 402-729-3383. We'll take a quick time out and be back for the last half hour of Yard and Garden Live on Old Red 99.5. Once again, number to call with your questions. You can call certainly during this break, and we'll get right to you. 402-729-3383. Welcome back to Yard and Garden Live. 402-729-3383 is the number. 402-729-3383. Got a couple of calls stacked up. Janet from Crab Orchard. We'll get to you in a second. But uh, 
standing by is Grace from north of Cortland. Good morning, Grace. Uh, what's your question? All right. I have a iris bed that's about 40 years old and three peonies that have been in the same place for about 25 years. And only one of the peonies bloomed this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the plant looks big, bushy, healthy, dark green, but no buds on it. And with my iris, the same thing. The plants look big and healthy, but very few flower stalks. I don't know if it was because it was so dry last fall and winter or if it's something else. It could be that they're dry. Um, the other thing I would think, if they haven't been moved for a long time, they're probably crowded. <clears throat> yeah, so the they... iris, I know I planted a single row, and now they're about <laughs> multiple rows, about four feet deep. But yeah. If you haven't um, dug them up and divided them in 40 years or 25 years with the peonies, I would guess they just are getting a little too crowded and they need need moved around kind of broken apart a little bit. Um, this is where you find friends um, to take some of your extra plants, right? So <laughs> this okay. is this is where we share our, our plants. So, um, yeah, if they get too crowded, sometimes they won't bloom very well, um, I would guess. The watering could have something to do with it as well, but I, I don't think so because I've seen lots of plenty of blooms of iris and peonies in the area. So, any thoughts? Okay. So the tree Should peonies. I do that now or wait till fall? It's better to do that in the fall. That's what I thought. All right. Yeah, thanks so the much. I, the iris division, you can start sometime in August probably. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And you said the peonies were tree peonies or regular peonies? They're just regular old-fashioned pink peonies. Yeah. My sister-in-law gave me the plants 25 years ago. And <laughs> they used to be full of blooms, and now I've got... Two of them that didn't have any buds on them at all this year. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. plant itself is beautiful. It's mm-hmm. dark green, yeah. big, bushy. <laughs> so I'll try moving them around this fall and see what happens. Yeah, when you divide them, just make sure that you have like um, two or three of the little like uh, buds on each division. So they call them like noses or eyes. So make okay. sure that you have two or three of those on each division and get them back at the same depth. If they're okay. too deep, they won't bloom. All right. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. <clears throat> uh, we'll head to uh, Janet standing by in Crab Orchard. Good morning, Janet. What's your question? Good morning. Um, <clears throat> I would like more than one suggestion to protect cabbage. Uh, I have them planted in my vegetable garden, and then I've got peppers in between the cabbages, and um, I just was wondering what is some of the best ways to keep the worms out and the butterflies, those little fly things from putting their eggs on the cabbage. Well, the cabbage family in general is attracted. They're almost like magnets for the imported cabbage worm. The little white butterfly you see flying around. That uh, they lay eggs, and the eggs hatch out into little green worms that get bigger green, become bigger green worms because they keep eating your leaves. Uh, the biological controls, I think, are the best uh, way to go. Uh, I've used two or three different kinds of uh, uh, biological controls. Uh, what are the ones that you've used? I don't grow cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you talking like can um, I don't know if like BT could be used. B- in yeah, there. BT be, type, okay, uh, BT type uh, insecticides. They are mm-hmm. organic and therefore not. Uh, they don't harm uh, beneficial insects, mm-hmm. but they. When the cabbage worm butterfly, or when the cabbage worm begins to eat on the leaves, it ingests this uh, bacterium, really, that uh, multiplies in its gut and it kills it. Mm-hmm. 
do the the row covers work pretty well for that too right for cabbage so you would yep. you would put one of those floating row covers um, or that real thin cloth over the plants um during okay. but you've got to open them up at some point to get them pollinated right oh they don't need to be they cabbage don't. doesn't need to be okay pollinated. they don't need to do no, that okay no. so you would you can put those row covers over your plants and that can help protect them too you're basically excluding that mm -hmm. white butterfly that floats around, uh, and they're everywhere. One thing, yeah. one thing I did this year uh, for broccoli, which is also an attractant for the cabbage worm, is I planted them very early, and they formed heads early, and uh, before the butterfly began to fly around. Mm -hmm. And now I saw my first butterfly a couple, oh, maybe a week ago, and I figure that broccoli is history short soon. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just sure. harvest it. and uh, Also, growing cabbage and broccoli cauliflower for the fall crop can be helpful, too. Uh, okay. That starting them in transplants in July and growing them for harvest in the fall. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you're going with conventional, I'm guessing seven would work pretty well for it. Seven or eight um, would work on those. Yeah. It, for conventional pesticides. So, so yeah. I could, I could it's lepidopterous. Anything that does mm -hmm. get the lepidopterous insects works fine. What were you saying there? Do I wait until I see the butterflies? Because I haven't seen them yet. Yeah. <laughs> cabbage. I mean, they're around for other things, but um, <clears throat> in my garden, I don't see them yet. If you're not, yeah, so you can wait till they start showing up, depending on what you're using. Now, if you're using the row covers, you would want to start those on before they're actively flying to keep them from getting right. in there. Because right. basically, the row covers are just excluding that butterfly that wants to lay eggs on your cabbage. I was hoping you would come up with a different thing beside those. <laughs> yeah, so those could be another option. But, yeah, you can go with, like, your, your BT, your floating row covers, changing your planting time. Um, that can help. Um, but there are several brands of BT. Mm -hmm. and, uh, okay. Those work right. fairly well. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very much. Yep. I will try that. All right. Thank you, Janet. Yeah, I guess... Uh, Cabbage uh, isn't just tasty to just us, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. 402-729-3383, 402-729-3383. We still have uh, some time to take your uh, questions here on Yard and Garden Live, 402-729-3383. Okay, so um, anything happening new in the grape industry, Paul? Other than that field day I mentioned, but uh, people are having a lot of success with some of the new grapes that, like Itasca that I mentioned, uh, also a new, relatively new uh, red wine grape called Petite Pearl has been uh, uh, a success story for some of our growers. And uh, down in southeast Nebraska, uh, something called uh, Cynthiana or Norton. They're the same grape with two different names. Uh, is the Norton is the state grape of Missouri, mm. state of Missouri. They have more Norton grapes than any other grape. And uh, it tends to be pretty resistant to diseases, and that's a real plus for it. If it but it also is borderline in cold hardiness for say, central or western Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Very good. I think we have a phone call coming in when we do. It is Mark from Lincoln. Good morning, Mark. What's your question? So I recently moved into a new house, and the previous owners had dogs. So I have, like, big patches in my backyard of just, like, dirt. And I'm curious when the best time is to plant some seed. I have some easy seed that you can buy at Costco, but I didn't know what the best seed was or when the best time is to, to plant that and try to get that revived. 
Well, unfortunately, you've missed the window for the spring seeding at this point. <clears throat> I wouldn't recommend seeding this late into the season because it'll turn hot and dry real fast. Um, and that's really hard on a, on a new, new seeding. Um, so at this point, I would wait till um, that late August, early September time frame. So I think you can start around like the 24th or so of August through through the middle of September, but it's best if you can get it um, put down before or around Labor Day or before Labor Day. Um, and uh, so between now and then, you're probably just going to have um, if it, you're going to have weed issues through there. So either you could just let them grow or you could um, plant something um, for a quick cover crop or something like that. Um, but then before you seed in the fall, um, I would spray it with like maybe a Roundup or something like that. Wait a, the amount of time it tells you on the label. I think it's one or two weeks um, and, then, and then seed. Or you could use the mesotrione products like Tenacity can be used at seeding. Um, but so you could, you could do that. The biggest thing is, you know, anytime that you're seeding, just make sure that you're keeping the, the seed bed moist. Um, you don't want it wet and you don't want it dry. You want it somewhere in between where it's damp all the time. Um, and so, um, but yeah, at this point it wouldn't be great for this time of year. Okay. Thank you. So, yeah, no problem. So when you say, uh, cover crop. Mm -hmm. in your yard uh, what would that what would that be some people plant like an annual rye or something like that just to cover the area for the season i don't know how well it would do even this late but um, sometimes you'll see where that happens because it is an annual grass and it's not going to keep coming back as long as you can keep it from seeding and so then you still would spray the area down mm -hmm. um, and you'd be able to then have something because if you leave it a bare spot it's going to be weedy so you either deal with the fact that you're going to have weeds through the summer and just that's your cover crop is the weeds, which is fine. Um, and then just spray it in the, in the fall before you seed. So, Interesting. Yeah. If you do that rye, though, does that have a chance of coming back the next year, though? If it seeds. If it seeds out, it could. It would be the only thing. But most of the time we're going to catch it before it seeds out. You know, you would mow it or whatever. So it yeah. wouldn't, shouldn't be a problem. But it's an annual rye, so it's not it, – annuals only live for one year. So, Yep. 402-729-3383. Still have uh, time for one or two more phone calls at 402-729-3383. Uh, Nicole, uh, not too far away from – uh, county fair season uh, yeah. got the kiddos working oh yeah we had some uh, workshops this week um, I did one uh, for our Gage County 4-Hers on um, we did vertical gardens and uh, so that was fun for them and then uh, Tara did some baking yesterday with the kids which you're in the front of the office and they're baking cookies and brownies in the back of the office is that's never easy to deal with. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we're we're doing workshops and things like that. And, actually, there's a bunch of kids um, currently from the Gage, Jefferson, and Celine that are on the Citizen Washington Focus trip with a couple of um, the educators from the area. So nice. they're out in Washington, D.C., learning all about our nation's capital. So yeah, I saw our extension agent was doing some work with the kids, too, with cookies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, experimenting with not enough baking soda right. or too much butter, things like that. And I'm mm -hmm. sure they they didn't mind uh, eating the leftovers. No, exactly. So we'll head to the phone line. On line two is Karen from Gilead. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. What's your question? Um, I have several peach trees kind of just randomly around the yard. And the buds survived the freeze. So I'm wondering... How much water I should give them, because I'm not, not going to count on the rain, how much water does a peach tree need to go ahead and make? Well, the old one inch per week is probably uh, a good starting point. If, the, if we get a lot of hot weather, you might do it more than once a week. But one, one soaking rain or soaking watering is the better way to go than doing it frequently mm -hmm. and not very deep. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, I have white tubs set up with a drip hole in them. Perfect. And so I've done like, well, they're a 15-gallon tub. Um, is that once a week too much? 
I would think that 15 gallons per week is quite a bit, but it depends a lot on how big the trees are. That's true. What their drip, That's true. If, if you're watering out to their drip line. Uh, yeah, you, you, the idea is an inch a week, uh, and it's uh, if you're applying it by sprinkler, then you just put a coffee can or something out there to catch and see how much you're actually putting on. Yeah, it's a little harder with oh. that, but I don't know if I would, you know, go whole 15 gallons each time, so. Okay. So maybe just do 10 and see if the water, if the ground doesn't kind of stay damp around them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can use the okay. screwdriver method, so stick the screwdriver in around it. If it goes in easily, it's plenty wet, and if it's hard to get that screwdriver down into the ground, then you want to water. <clears throat> okay. Perfect, Kate. Right, th th thanks so much for your call. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We got Donna on line two, but well, we had someone walk in. Uh, step up to the mic. Tell us who you are, where you're from, and what what's uh, what do you got in your hand there? I'm Doug from Diller, and I have a sugar maple tree in my backyard that the top seems to be dying out on it. It had very, very few leaves this year on top. It's got a lot of leaves on the bottom. And the leaves that are on top are now dead. Yeah. It sounds a lot like what the other gentleman was just calling about. Can I see? These are the branches from the top. Yeah. Yeah, those, the very those are... Very tip, I snapped it. It's like yeah, those, dead. Those are plenty dead. <laughs> but there's green buds down below. Right. So the, the whole top half in his photo... Of the tree, probably you're looking at probably half and half. Uh, half is leafed out, and the other half isn't just the bottom complete. is all leaves. Yeah, and the, and top, the top is just completely bare. It had a leaf or two on it. Uh huh. Okay. But they've pretty much died off now. When did you plant those? And they're like this tree's like four years old. Okay. It's yeah. probably 14 feet high. Mm -hmm. Sounds. Will this oh. make a tree or cut it out, throw it away? It's gonna gonna look a little bit weird for a while. For it won't sure. have a I don't know a runner going up anymore. Yeah, that's um, so you would have to start <laughs> a new leader. Um, you could prune that top part out, but it's gonna you don't want to just like top the tree either. So well, that's um, about what it is now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's up to you on if you want to just start over. Um, I don't know. You said four or five years. You don't have a ton into it, but the investment of the tree. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, like kind of like the last one, it's probably just that it was pretty dry this winter. And well, I didn't know if that froze the top out it, on it. And that, that could be too. That it, we had some late, pretty cool weather. Um, Diller, you guys didn't get a frost, did you? Like an actual no, frost? No, I got there is a little greenish. peaches on my peach tree. There's green in it's it. A, it's a little greenish further down. Not real green though. Yeah, because there's no dirt ever come back. Mm -mm, no. Yeah, so I would say um, you've got two options: either kind of prune it out and try to start a new leader, or just start over. Don't waste my time, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the way it looks. <laughs> it's it's rough. It looks a little rough. So um, it'll never make a pretty tree. Yeah. The sugar maple's supposed to be yeah. a yeah yeah real straight. Not fall. not what you want, huh? Not really. Yeah. Where, <laughs> when you purchased it, did you plant it? Yeah, yeah. Where? It was a stick about this high. Okay. Foot high. Okay. Where'd you purchase it from? Golly, I ordered it out of a seed catalog. Okay. Just I'm not be, sure which one. but So be real careful when you're getting trees that you're getting them from a local source. If you get them from too far south, they're not going to be adapted to our weather. So oh. that could be part of the problem. Okay. So, yeah. Make okay. sure you go with a local local source on that right. for the All for right. the next one. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, th thanks for stopping by, and, and good luck. Thanks. All right, we got Donna hanging on the line, uh, waiting to talk to us. Good morning, Donna. Thanks for holding. And what's your question? Good morning. I am not a green thumb at all, and I got two like three foot lilac bushes planted for Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. How do I take care of them? Carefully. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think you need a green thumb for a lilac. I think you'll be all right. Um, they're pretty. They're pretty resilient. Um, and even if they start to kind of get a little rough looking every every 
five years or so, if they're not blooming and don't look good, you can always just cut them back and they'll regrow. Um, they're pretty tough. I would, you know, especially since they're new, I would make sure that they're kept well watered. So um, what the hose trickle. That was my next question is how yeah. often do I, without rain, how often do I go out and put the hose out there? And uh, how I would, much water? I would say probably once a week would be sufficient. I would let the sprinkler run on it or the, uh, the hose just trickle at the base for probably 20 minutes once a week. Should okay. Be pretty sufficient for right now. Okay. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call and thanks for holding. All right. We'll take uh, our last break of the hour and uh, we'll be back to wrap things up here on the Yard and Garden show coming up right after this. Welcome back to Yard and Garden Live, kind of wrapping things up here on uh, this first Friday in June. Uh, we had a couple things to mention. Yes. Uh, first, the lady with the, the lilac bushes. Right? Yes, I would um, also meant I wanted to mention to make sure that you put some wood chip mulch on those about two to three inches deep um, and just kind of maintain that mulch layer around them. It helps with weeds. It helps with water. It helps with um root temperatures and all kinds of good stuff so um that was one thing i wanted to mention to her to add that around yeah. them. and then mark from lincoln uh, wanted to know uh, when he goes to plant uh grass this fall uh, did he need to till that up no you don't have to till it what i would say is um rough up the area with like a stiff tined rake before you seed and then after you seed kind of go through it again just to kind of get that seed knocked down so you get good seed to soil contact but you don't need to fully till the area perfect all right. Uh, well, a big thank you to you, Dr. Paul Reed. Thanks for thank uh, joining us once again. You've been a longtime guest of the show, and it's always great to have you here. I've always enjoyed it and look forward to the next time. There you go. Oh, thank you so much. And uh, Nicole, as always, uh, uh, thank you for being here, and yeah. uh, thanks for answering all the questions. Do you want to remind people that uh, if they maybe called in and had a, had a question but uh, didn't get a chance to hear that answer mm -hmm. uh you have a easy way people can uh, get those answers right yeah a couple of them um i do post the um question and answer on my blog every week and that's at plantsandpests.unl or dot wordpress.com um, and then also they can find it on the podcast and if you go to um where you find podcasts apple google and spotify and you can look up yard and garden with nicole perfect and both of those links are on our website mm -hmm. at oldred995.com as well. Well, thanks, guys. We'll uh, wrap things up here. Another episode of Yard and Garden Live. Until next week, keep things green and keep things growing.